0: Welcome to Behavior Babes podcast, presented by me, Dr. Amanda Kelly. Aloha. Joining us today, we have Kristen koba and Dr. Carla Schmidt. Why don't we go ahead and start by having you do a bio or introduction for
1: our listeners? Kristen, why don't you get us started? Sure. Um, hi, everyone. I am Kristen koba I'm a BCBA and LBA in the state of Hawaii. I work currently for Bayata Behavioral Health in Hawaii, and I serve as the Director of Clinical Operations. My role is largely OBM in focus in that I really look at systems, procedures, forms, and policies in terms of setting up the provision of ABA services. I've also served in a variety of other roles, including being involved in the Hawaii state chapter and some advocacy roles.
2: Thanks, Kristen. And Dr. Schmidt, Carla. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Carla Schmidt. I'm a faculty member at the University of Florida in the Department of Special Education. I'm also a licensed behavior analyst in the state of Hawaii and provide telepractice services through Viata Behavior Health.
0: Thank you both for joining us today. And we did wanna focus our, our topic today on telehealth. And it's something that you have different roles with, as you kind of already mentioned a bit in your bio. But I wanted to have you just start by giving a definition, if you will, or, or a description. How do you describe telehealth or what is telehealth?
1: Sure, telehealth in my eyes is the provision of a medically necessary service via a video platform or some sort of um, you know way in which you can provide that service remotely and so generally we look at our behavior analysts being at an office location or offsite, potentially in another state um, and they are able to through a video platform provide coaching and support for their technician or for family members for implementation of an ABA program. I think it is important to mention that obviously that it could be telepractice or looking at school support as well. So generally we often focus on telehealth being insurance funded, but there is definitely a use for support within other settings such as classrooms and educational support.
0: And that is defined you're distinguishing that telehealth and telepractice.
1: I do that in my own terminology, in all honesty, especially if we're looking at funder mechanisms, you know, are we defining it as a health service versus an educational service, and sometimes that becomes important uh, when we're looking at funding sources and some of the regulations related to that. And so we often use the term telepractice to universally refer to a remote transmission of a behavior analytics service. And then kind of divide within that if it is an insurance-funded service, then it obviously is falling in that health bucket.
0: All right. Well, maybe I'll have to shift some of my own verbal behavior, always learning something new every time we do a podcast and every time I talk to either one of you. Carla, do you have anything that you would add to that as far as a description or how might you describe this to a parent or uh, maybe a, a brand new provider?
2: I think, well, to make a comment about the terminology, I think that it gets used um, interchangeably. So you see telehealth, you see telepractice, you see telemedicine. So I think that it's pretty common to see those terms used interchangeably. As far as um, explaining this to a parent, I think uh, in a very simple way, this is delivering services via telecommunication technologies. So basically via Skype or Zoom or some type of mechanism um, that we can basically see each other and be able to talk through some of the same programs and um, skill development that we wanna see face-to-face.
0: Right on, makes some good sense there. And thanks for mentioning that that terminology is sometimes interchangeable. I think I'm gonna look into more of the precise differences between them or kind of see if I do need to refine my verbal language, I'm, I'm always open to that. Now you mentioned both um, working with families and working at schools. Carla, with your work right now because you have had some experience doing telehealth first, can you just explain to us how how that process felt for you or what it was like as you got started and then maybe we can talk about some things that you've learned along the way.
2: Absolutely. I I think there is a little bit of a learning curve. Um it's it's I think when you first get started, there is, this feels a little bit awkward, right? You're trying to talk to uh, your RBT and give them feedback in the moment, but they're still there with the learner. So I think there's some nuance there that you kind of have to just figure out. And that's why I think it's so, so very important to have really good rapport um, with the RBTs that you're working with. For families, uh, I feel like In my experience, it's been a very positive experience. It's very much a conversation that you're having with the family, and I've found it very easy to implement with the families that I've worked with. Uh, We use the Ruby curriculum, and we're able to go through that curriculum step-by-step, and we use the video models for video modeling with families, and it's it's worked out very well. Can you speak a little bit more about the curriculum that you just mentioned? The Ruby curriculum, yes. Viata has adopted this curriculum, and it's an evidence-based curriculum for parent training. It's called the Ruby Autism Network, uh, Parent Training for Disruptive Behavior.
0: Excellent. Thanks so much. And definitely want to look more into some of those materials and things that people can best utilize in sometimes that tele-remote kind of way. Now, Kristen, you mentioned that you've done a lot on the OBM, kind of the systems type of approach. What are the things that you need to have in place so that telepractice is something that's feasible and successful within an agency?
1: You know, I mean, I think obviously there's a lot of funder regulations and billing procedures and things like that. And so that's a super important aspect for any provider to look at as they're trying to engage in telehealth services. What do your funders allow? What are the regulations? Are there specifics? Um, I think there's a lot of resources out there, especially in current times. Um, out there available for that. So I'm not gonna go into a ton to that. I think really looking at how do you provide the service? How do you prepare a family? How do you prepare an RVT and your clinicians to be able to provide that service? What is your technology platform look like? So checklists I think are particularly helpful. We utilize a setup checklist that I'm happy to share with you that you can put on your website. We're really looking at what does that site look like? If this is a family home that we haven't been into What device are they gonna use? Is their internet connection stable? Are they familiar with how to connect to the platform? Um, Do we have a process in place for what to do in the event that we're disconnected and how we're gonna reconnect? Um, All of those aspects become really important just in that initial setup before you even start the provision of the service, making sure that everybody's really comfortable with how to use the technology and how it's going to work. Physical setup is huge. Carla and I have done some funny things in terms of trying to make sure that we have appropriate view of the program. You want to be able to really see where your RBT or where the family are, especially if you're trying to watch implementation of a program, As the BCBA on the other side of the screen, do you have an appropriate view? Where do those cameras need to be mounted? What kind of devices are you using? Do we need multiple devices, which is something that we utilize currently? And so really just having job aids and checklists for those types of processes are really important. It's not just a matter of hopping on a screen and providing the service, especially when we're looking at, you know, really coaching folks through implementation in the moment.
0: Those are a ton of things that I hadn't even thought of. I mean, some of them just come into play when you're doing meetings, like colleague meetings on zoom. You want to make sure that all your dirty laundry, so to speak, literally is not in the corner or that you have that one clean corner of your house to be in. Have you found families have concerns with things like that, or do they have worries about things being recorded or are they, as Carla mentioned, are you finding a lot of positive experiences and feedback?
1: You know, I think generally um, we definitely have positive experiences. Um, there's definitely something to be said for setting the expectations at the beginning with anyone who's going to be participating in that service. And so we make it really clear on our informed consent when we go through that. it's not going to be a recorded service and that they have to consent to recording prior to that happening Um, again going back to your funder regulations you know some other types of services may allow for asynchronous so you could watch a recording generally ours are all or for us specifically we are solely funded for live transmission has to be video can't be telephone only type of thing Um, so making sure that the family is really familiar and understands what the provision of the service will look like. And that way you can address any of those concerns. We're not recording it. We would get your consent before that ever occurred. You know, really being able to talk through those things before that service starts.
0: Awesome. I imagine that sometimes telehealth can help us overcome barriers that you've also mentioned some barriers that we need to navigate around. Carla, what have you seen as some of the benefits to being able to provide telehealth or services via telehealth format and platform?
2: Well, I think if we look at the literature, it's very clear that one of the reasons we started to look at telepractice and telehealth uh, in the field of ABA and beyond is because We need more behavior analysts, and when you're living in a remote area or a rural area, it's often difficult to access services. And now we're able to provide these services to individuals who may not otherwise be getting those services. We know that some of the geographic complexities of the islands, for example, um, make it almost very difficult for a behavior analyst to get from one point of the island to to another in a timely manner. And so now we're able to serve more clients and still provide that quality of service.
1: It's important when we look at dense geographic areas. Um, you may live in a city where traffic is a serious consideration and can you uh, support a family? You know, If they're looking at trying to get home from work and then be present for a session, we can provide expanded access to services in a variety of areas. And so you might be able to hop on a video platform with a family in the evening to support them with a dinner routine when they really need it that might not otherwise be feasible because of traffic and other constraints.
0: Yes, that makes sense that there would be those other things, uh, benefits as well. And I, I, living on the islands, but also when I was in Boston, you know, I mean, again, the traffic, just the time that it would take to go from one location to another, even if only 10 minutes apart, could be an hour and a half. And it does limit our ability to be providing services, which is something we want to capitalize on or maximize, especially when there's not enough or when our services are in such high demand. We mentioned the current situation, so we might as well take a moment to just talk about COVID-19 is now impacting 2020, of course and many people are experiencing shutdowns or restrictions to the services that they're providing or that they're used to providing. What are you guys having to do differently? Or maybe what are you already prepared to handle? And then what are your thoughts on how this might impact services moving forward?
2: Well, one thing that I, I think this is an opportunity for us to get really good at something that we have kind of haven't really embraced fully. So I think as a field, we can we can get really good at this. Um, One thing that I would like to see in the coming months is supporting families, however we can do that. I think one way to do that is through parent training. No matter what happens as far as how we move forward, I think that is one mechanism that we can rely on. So parent training, teaching parents how to support their children while they're at home, if that is the case, uh, I think is one way. I think the field is going to,
1: to absolutely blossom. Agreed. Given these times and Hawaii is a very multi-generational household type of uh, culture and so also looking at how we can engage other members of the family. Often we work with families that have grandparents and an aunt and uncle living in the home, sometimes including siblings as you know implementers for uh, peers and other types of programs and so I think it really creates a unique opportunity to dive in but I think also being really cautious that we are sticking true to our ethical code, that we're making sure that we're providing a quality service, um, but really supporting families in what is a worldwide health crisis and making sure that we are really there for the service and supporting the family and the clients when they need it most.
0: A lot of agencies um, have had to make really difficult decisions and I know that it's being done state by state, county by county, day by day, and so we are seeing you know the discussion about whether or not behavior analysts, for example are are essential health care workers and and even if that is the case and we meet that definition at what point do you know does this sort of lockdown for everybody become a priority over providing in-person services? so um, you mentioned funding sources and we also mentioned some service delivery type when we are not having people work in the homes, are, are you both kind of of the belief that that leaves us with parent training um, while we're in this situation? Or do you find that other service code or, or service delivery types might be
1: possible? I think it's gonna largely depend, of course, on what your funders are allowing. Um, We've seen a lot of uh, flexibility and a lot of funders really stepping up to support their members. But I think, of course, you know, as a provider checking with your funding sources and then really looking at your client population and it's gonna differ. You may have, you know, 10, 20 clients within your organization Um, five of which are not appropriate for a telehealth-delivered service. And so really doing some risk-benefit analysis. Some of them, I'll say for our own agency, we really did a thorough risk-benefit analysis and risk mitigation process to look at which clients need in-person services first and foremost and which clients could be successful on a telehealth model in the event that we need to get to that type of position. So really kind of thinking through that and what works for telehealth.
0: Carla do you have anything to add to um anything that Kristen has shared with us on you know the the changes I know you mentioned the opportunity I guess what I want to ask you about is maybe the opportunity for research as well
2: absolutely i think i think that it's we'll have to see how things go right over the the next few months i know a lot of funding streams have kind of halted or or postpone uh, calls, but I absolutely think that that is something we should be doing. I mean, there is a decent amount of research available on the use of of telepractice and telehealth to implement applied behavior analysis. So that literature is there. It'll be interesting to see the research questions that come out of our our current situation.
0: With the current situation in COVID-19, what are some of the things that you're hearing online or with the other agencies that you're working with? What are the decisions and choices they're having to make right now?
1: I think a lot of us are seeing the chatter happening on social media, Um, you know, telehealth has become a wildly popular topic uh, in the last week. A lot of organizations have made the difficult decision to close their center based locations and so looking at programs that are historically provided in a clinic in a center moving into the home cases where, you know, maybe the RBT or the technician implementing the program doesn't feel comfortable or for whatever reason is not able to continue to provide the face-to-face service. So really trying to switch a service to be BCBA provided family guidance as opposed to a technician. Obviously, schools are out pretty much nationwide. And so we have children who are really out of their regular routine and needing support in their home.
0: So Carla, I'm wondering if you have any thoughts for us on w- what that might look like. You know, BCBA's working in different locations or having to provide a different type of service or maybe intensity of service than what they're used to. What's some guidance, maybe, or comments that you might have on that?
2: Well, I think the first thing we need to do, uh, what we do really well, right, is we look to our professional and ethical compliance code, and we continue to follow that and that be the center of our work. But then I think we also because we don't yet have guidance from the BACB around telepractice, we don't have those guidelines yet. I think they're coming, <laughs> hopefully. I know that state chapters are looking at creating um, guidelines. Uh, Faba just submitted a survey to all of you know Florida looking for just be- that very thing, information around creating these guidelines. But we do have some information, like I said, the Council of Autism Service Providers, they just created guidelines for telepractice There's the American Telemedicine Association for Online Mental Health Services. That's another set of guidelines. The APA guidelines for the practice of telepsychology. There's going to be a lot of overlap, most likely, between our field and and those fields, obviously. So I think that's a great place for behavior analysts to start uh, because a lot of the guidelines that are there are going to touch on the ethical and professional code that, that we have as behavior analysts.
0: You know, I understand people wanting to to help families and definitely the chatter that I'm seeing, it seems to be really motivated by how do we help in a time of crisis while we're all also impacted by that crisis it's not somebody else's crisis it's everybody's and so there is a lot of urgency to figure this out i think for agency but you make a really good point about mentioning our ethical code and you know we want to make sure that we're we're providing services that are needed but also that we are familiar with that are in our scope that we have competence and experience with. So I definitely will add those resources and share those resources with our listeners. What about your thoughts on how people might develop this skill set other than through trial and fire?
2: I think that's where I think centers and agencies really need to look at training uh, specifically on telepractice. I think that it probably, you know, we might see some trial by fire out there, but I think we could do a much better job if we actually train on the implementation of telepractice before we put BCBAs in, in that situation. And that's that goes to, you know, implementing the technology, getting familiar with the technology, understanding some of the pitfalls are gonna happen. What, Like Kristen said, what happens when the internet breaks up? What happens when the video quality or audio quality isn't there uh, and you can't hear the responses of your learner? Those are the things that they sound very simple, but that is the delivery of our service. And so the fidelity of our service is based on the ability to be able to interpret the, those responses. So those are things that I think the more you're fluent with the technology and the more you understand how to use it and implement it before you're in the front of a learner,
1: uh, the better off we'll be also taking a look at your clinical skills and your clinical program. Are you the type of BCBA who typically just really jumps in and physically models how to do something? You can't do that on the other side of a screen. So what does that look like for changing your own service delivery? Some of the recommendations I usually say is, you know, Be more detailed in your written procedures. Think about how you can spell things out. More examples, more non-examples, some hypothetical scenarios, being able to walk families or RBTs uh, through what does that look like for implementation. Uh, Get creative on how to model things with your hands on a screen. Um, And also looking at within an organization, maybe outside of a crisis, Uh, what type of mentorship structure is set up. We utilize, under normal times, a system in which there's always a BCBA physically available uh, in the service location. So if we need an assessment conducted, if we need someone to be able to go in, they could support the person that's on telehealth. And just looking at, you know, is there that opportunity for some mentorship within your organization to support the delivery of telehealth services?
2: Kristen brings up a good point. Under normal operating conditions, it's absolutely um, imperative to have that on-the-ground support. You know, I live in Florida and I work in Hawaii. Obviously, you know, creating materials and getting my form signed and all of those, those, you know, logistics of documentation. That's why we have a shared data collection mechanism that has really facilitated communication and my ability to evaluate the program from distance—all those,
1: those things need to be in place. That's definitely, I think, under the current conditions, something that providers have to really give a lot of quick and appropriate thought to. If you are on a paper pencil system for data collection, what is that going to look like for telehealth? You know, really making sure that you have live, ready access uh, to the data that you can make quick program changes and get that out to either your staff or your families um materials being a little bit more flexible what you might have had in a center-based setting is likely not what you're going to have in the home. How can you send materials if you're not physically there? How can you, you know, email things that are going to be printed and created? Can they draw some things out on a whiteboard? You know, maybe not having the same type of materials that you usually use in your programs if you're coming from center-based and going on to telehealth. So giving thought again to that really like setup kind of aspect of your clinical uh, service delivery.
0: And Carla, you mentioned that you're in Florida and you're working in Hawaii, and you also referenced in your bio that you are licensed in the state of Hawaii, so that the licensure laws and the regulations are something people are going to have to really be thoughtful about when they're especially helping in the time of the COVID crisis, unless we get any guidance that tells us otherwise. Do either of you have any thoughts or comments to elaborate on on licensure or regulations in the state?
2: So Kristen, you probably have more to say on this, but that's absolutely the case. I mean, you have to, whatever state you're practicing in, you have to be familiar with the regulations and requirements of that
1: state. Yep, it's also looking at funder. If you're crossing state lines uh, for other funders, what are the regulations there? what are the regulations for your home state as a provider? What are the regulations for your client? And so making sure that you're really familiar with all of those and what the specifics are, because they are gonna differ from state to state.
0: Right now, as we're in the COVID crisis, I recognize that people who are not typically providing telehealth or telepractice services might be doing so, and that's kind of what we've been talking about today. Now, I definitely see the role of a BCBA being possible with parent training and other types of support that they might be able to provide at this time. And under normal conditions, I don't believe I've ever heard of anyone proposing an RBT or any behavior technician as doing their services remotely. Would, would you I, either of you be able to speak to your experiences with who typically provides telehealth and then maybe your thoughts
1: on potentially RBTs providing that type of support? Historically, we have never provided, you know, I can speak just for our own organization and our funders of what they permit, uh, direct service, direct implementation at the technician level, as well as I think looking at, you know, direct, when we talk about health code billing, 97153, direct billing of implementation of the treatment plan is not something that we've ever utilized. We've always looked at protocol modification, coaching staffs that are on site, providing family guidance for family members that are on site we've never used it for direct implementation granted there are you know a lot of extenuating circumstances currently and i can definitely sympathize with providers looking at how they can support families and clients and employees i think it's really important still though to go back to our ethical code and really think about the client's right to effective treatment and is delivery by a technician or delivery by a BCBA or BCABA through that uh, direct code, does that meet the client's needs? I could definitely think of some circumstances where that could meet the client's needs, um, but I can definitely think of some circumstances where that would not meet the client's needs. And so again, I think it's really uh, important that we're prioritizing what the needs of the client are when we're looking at the type of service and what we're going to provide. Just because a funder is allowing it doesn't make it the best option necessarily.
2: I agree, Kristen. I think we need to be careful and think about our boundaries of competence, and think about the situations we could be potentially putting our RBTs in, and and asking them to do things that they're either not trained to do or don't have the skill set to do, and that would be asking them to violate their own code of ethics.
1: Exactly. When we look at, you know, we had kind of mentioned before some of the chatter that we're seeing on social media, we see behavior analysts with a lot of experience saying. Hey, can people mentor me? Can they coach me? And so if we're throwing RBTs, technicians, other people into that pool, I just think we have to really proceed with a lot of caution and make sure that we are setting people up for success, that we are not creating contingencies that would put people in a position where they're ill-prepared for that service Or that would, you know, essentially force them to violate their own ethical code and just, again, really looking at do no harm, do what's right. We're in a crisis situation with COVID-19, but I think just being able to take that step back and do that risk-benefit analysis, is there some risk involved in that? And and really, what is that true benefit to the client if you're going to provide direct service or, or engage in any kind of telehealth service that you have not engaged in prior?
0: I really appreciate both of you joining me today to talk about this topic and to talk about it with the current circumstances and COVID-19 that's impacting everybody's daily life, as we mentioned it, and for the foreseeable future. So we are in unprecedented, uh, unchartered territory, but I definitely think that we have some resources like our ethical codes, we have each other, we have access to hopefully mentorship, um, definitely under normal circumstances, and to those agency owners who are listening, you've also given them some advice and some tools and tips for how to support their employees and their staff during this time. Carly, you mentioned having some specific trainings, giving resources through the agency. Would either of you have any other additional um, messages for the agency owners at this time?
1: Again, looking at systems and support, you know, really working with families to support them and recognizing that some families may not want this service and that that is 100% acceptable. Um, looking at there may need to be some purchases and some investments to make this happen, you know, whether that is uh, purchasing technology to provide to the client's home, um, use of uh, platforms and data plans and things like that. I mean, we work with families that don't have reliable internet access and we need to provide a hotspot Uh, We need to provide a device. We need to buy stands uh, to be able to mount the tablets to create an appropriate view for the behavior analysts. So I think really thinking about that there's some investment piece in this as well, making sure that we're covering appropriate consents and forms and that all of you know, your traditional buckets that you would cover within a face-to-face service, it's still the same. You know The CPT code definitions don't change for those of us billing under those codes. Um, the provision of service has to be the same. And so making sure that your team uh, is aware of documentation requirements. There are some different billing requirements for um, modifiers and things of that nature. So really just making sure that your team on all aspects, your clinical side, your VCBAs, uh, your RBTs, everybody, your billers, that everybody's really prepared and has a solid understanding of what their role is in a telehealth service delivery.
0: Well, fantastic. I was usually expecting someone to say, oh, well, no, I don't have that many resources, or maybe here's one thought, but, you know, definitely tells me we've tapped into some of the right people here with this area of expertise. Again, thank you for joining me today. Before we um, end the call today, is there anything else you'd like to add any additional resources to plug. Um, I would say any upcoming events that you have, but I imagine they're all going to be online if they're occurring at all. But I want to give you this time to each, you know, share any final thoughts.
1: I have two thoughts. Um, One, I think given the current situation, uh, the support within the provider community has been pretty phenomenal. There are a lot of great webinars, podcasts, uh, file shares, things out there. And so, you know, really taking advantage of those and doing our own due diligence to educate ourselves as providers. Um, And then in terms of supporting families and just recognizing that there could be a significant transition in uh, what families are experiencing right now, what clients are experiencing right now, there's been a really big disruption for everybody. And so meeting people where they're at, maybe some of the things that were priority focuses in your program, Um, are not the priority focus right now. You know, really talking, if you're going to a a pretty much solely family guidance parent training type of model, what are really those priority focus for families right now? Um, Some different needs may come up. There's a lot of setting events in place. And so really prioritizing health and safety and making sure that we are meeting the needs of where they're at.
2: I, I second what Kristen said. I think that our families are going through a very difficult time. Uh, many of our families are at home with their children much more than, than they are accustomed to being. I think that, like Kristen said, prioritizing the goals of our programs, it, things are probably going to look a little bit different. Uh, I do highly recommend the Ruby curriculum for parents, giving them the basic tools of applied behavior analysis to, to kind of weather this storm. And revisit some of those topics to keep everyone safe and, and, um, and on track.
0: Excellent. Again, I will um, host these resources and references that were mentioned on the podcast on my website. And for anyone who's interested in finding information about telehealth as it relates to behavior analysis or behavior analysis in general can do so by visiting www.behaviorbabe.com.